Yeah, welcome back to another week of the Base Training Podcast. I'm here with uh, Stefan today. Uh, Will is can't be with us for some reason. Um, I think it's because we're doing it on a Friday instead of a Thursday like we usually do, and he can't make it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and what we're going to be talking about today is carrying on for our little bonus podcast from a pre-Rugby World Cup final. We're going to talk about what we can learn from England's loss. And I say that with a heavy heart and I'm very sad about it and still trying to come to terms with it five or six days later. Um, so as always, you can find more information about base training on, uh, if you want to email us, info at base.training or you can go to the website www.base.training or you can go onto li- uh, Instagram, base training UK, also on LinkedIn, but we're not too active on there. Um, if you want to find out a bit more information about Stefan, where can everyone find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at coach underscore Stefan underscore Winder. You can find me on LinkedIn, Stefan Winder MSC. And you can find me on Facebook, Stefan Winder Strength and Movement Coach. Or you can email me, Stefan at base.training. Yeah, awesome. And you can find myself, Lee Carter UK, on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, Instagram is where I do most of my stuff. Or you can email me at Lee at base.training. Yeah, I completely forgot what it was then. <laughs> <laughs> so, how do you feel? I am devastated. Um, I feel like we need to eat some humble pie today after mm. our uh, hype up from the last podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, we just didn't really show up to the races, did we? Um, it was, it was just within those first five minutes, you kind of knew that England were going to lose that game. Yeah. Um, there was just so many simple errors that were being made, um, even just down to the handling. Like Ben Youngs threw that wild pass out into touch uh, when he had acres of space to pass it. And you're just like, okay, we're not going to win this game. Like you cannot afford to make simple mistakes. Just a, even at club level these days, you can't afford to make those mistakes, let alone international, let alone the World Cup final, which is the creme de la creme, the best of the best, you cannot afford to make simple errors like that. And we just made too many of them. We just, uh, discipline wasn't there. Um, and I think it was just a bit of an over, over falsity of confidence, maybe from the week prior. Um, but yeah, Gatlin was right. We'd, we'd played our final the week before. Um, he absolutely called it. We'd given everything to that game against New Zealand in the semi. Um, I think because of that win, because not we like we were, we hadn't seen anything from South Africa really to worry us, and that was kind of their strength is that they still had a game plan to go to. They didn't have to show their hand; they could just cruise through their games and save everything for that final, which they did. Um, so I think yeah, it's just a combination of ill discipline, uh, probably nerves as well uh, from the team because they've never been in that situation before, like. I heard on commentary that the average age of that England team was 27. Um, and that's with a few outliers in that team. Like you've got Dan Cole, who's 32, 33, Mark Wilson's 31. Um, and a couple of other boys who are in their th- Joe Marler's in his thirties. If you take those guys out, out of the team, the average age is about 24. That's super, super young. Like that is a team for the future. Obviously we're going to have guys come in to replace those senior leaders, but um, this is a team for the future. Like I've, I've got no doubt they're going to bounce back from this. They're still young enough. They're still robust enough mentally to come back from it. Um, with Eddie Jones is staying on as well. Um, I think that would be a really, really good thing 
uh, for this team and for, for English rugby. But yeah, we just it just wasn't our day and South Africa fully deserved to win that game. Take my hats off to them. Yeah. Um, I agree with it. I'm still in a bit of shock, as I said at the start. Um, I thought that the game plan was wrong. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that... Uh, I, I, feel, I, I don't feel the best team won. The best team won the day one, oh. yes, but I don't think the best team won. I think England were the better team in that competition. They were the number one team in that competition. Um, and I think it, it was just a case, or it was a case of, they peaked a bit too early, maybe. I, th- I think physiologically they were probably ready. They were firing, ready to go. But I think they were, and Will would talk about this quite a bit, like over arousal versus under arousal. Um, I think they came out of that over aroused. That makes sense. As they were too excited on that competition for that competition that it went the other way. They yeah. fell off a cliff and they were trying things that they'd never tried before. Um, and yeah, I think there were a lot of tactical mistakes as well, strategic mistakes. And they stopped using set pieces, so essentially took George Ford out of the game, which which proved right um, when they pulled him off at fifty minutes. They took him off. Like they, he wasn't being used because they couldn't use him because they stopped kicking to touch and doing what they were doing best for the whole competition. Um, and I think what you mentioned about the team being really young is actually really important when it comes to fitness as well. What we can learn from it is to have a long-term view of it. Um, and Eddie Jones, is, he's, I think he's, he's done that. He's gone, right, four years ago when he, he came in, he's like, right, we want to be the best team in the world. I think he, was, he, he pulled a team in that were maybe just a bit too young. Now, yeah. I think, and it took, what, the, well, the 2003 team, six years to win a World Cup from when they started. Um, so I think he's got one more in him and but I think the 2023 will be, I think it will be close because all those players will be not nearing the end of their career, but they would have had like eight, ten year careers by then and will be a bit beaten up. Um, like whether Ford will make it or sorry, whether Farrell will make it to the next World Cup. I don't know. Um, he's 27 now, isn't he? Something like that. Yeah, so he's got to be one of the older players. Uh, hopefully he doesn't get injured and so on. Um, <clears throat> but four years is a long time. But I think it's important to have that long-term vision and say, actually, that we're, build, we're trying to put something in place to build a platform so that we can go on with subsequent teams that are completely different players that train this similar way and we're, we're, we're trying to leave a legacy so that in future World Cups we can be like South Africa, we can win multiple World Cups and we can be like um, New Zealand and win three on the trot. But that's that's a sign of a good rugby nation. Um, is to have that talent coming up through behind you, um, and having and they've got long term vision. They're like we we want to win every World Cup, not just the next one. What's yeah, your... it comes down to that, like you said, it's that long term approach, isn't it? Yeah. It's like um, so it was a four year plan. The plan was good. It was everything was done to perfection in my opinion. I don't think they could have done much no. better in the way of planning. Uh, I think everything peaked when it should have peaked. I think it was just, uh, yeah, a, a lack of confidence, confidence from players or overconfidence. I'm not sure which one it was yet mm. uh, from the players after that New Zealand game, um, and just lack of experience. Um, like you had a few experienced heads in there, but 
no one else has been in that situation in that team. And no matter how good your leaders are, if they haven't got the experience themselves of being on that stage in that situation, you never know how they're going to react. So uh, it was almost like a trial by fire, um, gutted uh, for them, for England. But yeah, I think this team will carry, I think at least 75% of that team will carry through to the next World Cup, barring injuries. Um and yeah, I think we'll be a force to be reckoned with in that World Cup. Yeah, the next few Six Nations are going to be interesting. If if we don't yeah. like, in theory, if like with this team, like they can beat any team in the world. With like, I think if they if they play South Africa, when they'll be playing them in the autumn, the the autumn nationals, wouldn't they? Next in twenty twenty, I think they'll beat them. I think they'll absolutely dominate them. Um. Yeah. And they they did before the World Cup, like they beat them convincingly, and uh, I think it's, it's it was literally all of that stuff combined was just too much for them. Um, like you said, I don't think they could have done anything differently. Like from what we know about the training leading up to it, I don't think there's much they could have done differently. They planned right in that they knew they was going to meet New Zealand. They had to plan for that just to get to the final. Like mm-hmm. the fact that they made the second place is still like, although it's not. What everyone wanted, um, yeah. you could tell that by the reactions to the players when they collected their second place medal. It's still nothing to be scoffed at, and it's still an absolutely amazing achievement. Um, and I'm sure a couple of days later, they're like, "Bloody hell! Like we came second in the World Cup. That is amazing." Like Twenty, like you said, uh, was it Tom you know, Sam Underhill? Tom Tom Curry is 21, isn't he? Um, yeah. Sam Underhill's like 24, 25, like still very, very young to be at that level and to win, to get to that level. Um, and I'm sure they'll be going, actually, we crushed it. We killed it. We did everything right. They were just a little bit better on the day. Um, I think they can, like I said, they, they, South Africa weren't the better team. They just, uh, they got it right on the day, uh, like they struggled through against uh, Wales, they struggled against Japan, even though obviously they won. Um, yeah. But yeah. In terms of peaking too early, why do you think that happened? Um, I think it's a combination of factors. Again, I think it's like physiologically. I think I don't think it was. I think it was perfect timing I think the training cycles up to that point was spot on so physiologically we're in the right place to win that game so I think really it comes down to that mental aspect again Um, and that can come from a multitude of places that can come from internal places that could be each individual player feeling nervous so collectively as a team that became a nervous team um, it can come from maybe you were confident going into that game so we know that Farrell was confident in his playing ability he turns up every game but maybe if he's seeing all of his other players nervous that's rubbed off on him so it might have come from external focus um, it could have come from Eddie uh, he could have maybe placed seeds of doubt in their in their mind in that team talk pre-game which was made the boys go oh shit, we're, we're in a World Cup final. Uh, should we be here? Do we deserve to be here? We don't know what was said in that back room. Um, so I don't think physiologically that we did peak too early, but I think uh, psychologically for sure. Um, but 
why that is, I'm not 100%, I can't say with any certainty because like psychology, it's, it's all down to opinion at the end of the day. As long as you can back it up, it's right. <laughs> um, there's, there's no theory that's correct. So um, I think, yeah, like I said, I'm not sure if it was under or over arousal. I'm not sure if it was nerves. But I think one of the dis- definitive moments of that game, uh, which I was starting to talk about just before we came on, was a Kyle Sinclair knockout. I think he was so... He was such a big role in all of the games uh, coming into that final. So in the pool games, in the quarterfinal, massively in the quarterfinal. I mean, he even got that try, didn't he? little breakaway try. Um, and in the semifinal, he's such an attacking threat. Like, he used to be a back for Battersea Ironsides. He was a centre uh, before switching to prop. He's a big unit. Uh, so he's got the silkiest hands and he plays on that game line. Unless you've got people that can consistently play on the game line, like your Vernapolas, like your Tuolangis, which we don't have many of, um, it's it's really hard to then get front foot ball. You're always going to be on the back foot otherwise because you're going to be playing behind the advantage line. So um, people like him who can are that attacking threat, play on the game line, can run insane lines to draw the defenders, create the space. As soon as we lost him and we had a 32, 33-year-old lad who's at the back end of his career coming on to then play essentially 80 minutes against a big, physical, brutish South Africa pack, you you knew that was going to be uh, a losing battle because uh, he's past his physiological peak. Um, he's past his, his technical competency, uh, I would say, in the sport. He just can't keep up with the other players. He's a very traditional prop, Dan Cole. He's much more of a technical scrummager. He's not so much, I'm going to run with the ball and see how many defenders I can beat and offload it out of the contact. I'm going to just crash ball, crash ball, run where needed, ruck out, um, get, in, get in the mix with them all, lifting the line out and scrum well. Like that, he is a classic prop and I just don't think you can get away with that in this day and age. Uh, especially when he got the likes of Stephen Kitsoff in the uh, South African South African prop who is just a menace and the beast as well. Like these guys have been around for a long time because they've been able to adapt with the game. They've been able to evolve their game to meet the new demands. Whereas I think Dan Cole's kind of struggled, which is why he was dropped from that team uh, initially after Eddie Jones took over. He was dropped. Eddie was like, you're not good enough anymore. You need to go and work on your game. He worked on certain things, but I think there's still things missing. And having to play 80 minutes today is just, I think it was just a stretch too far. So I think that was a significant turning point in the game. Um, to be with two minutes into the game, uh, and then straight after that, Ben Young threw that world pass into touch. I think you could just see it on the boys' faces. They were worried. Mm. Um, they were just trying to force the passes. And it was just silly. Mistake. I think it was, I think the total, uh, not penalty count, but total mistakes made uh, off our own backs, like so no pressure coming from South Africa, was 15, like 15 handling errors. You just can't, you can't expect to win a game, a World Cup final with 15 handling errors. It's just, it's just like a ridiculous feat for anybody. Like you can't get away with that. Even even if you went down and played Sunday rugby, you couldn't get away with winning 50, after fifteen handling errors unless your scrum is insanely good and you're going to win your own scrum every time, which is unlikely. Yeah, so I just think it was yeah. For me, the peaking physiologically was good. The training cycles going into it was good. The tapering around the World Cup was brilliant. I don't think they could have done any anything differently from a a coaching and an S&C point of view. But I think on the day, it was um, 
it was around the players and and definitely a psychological aspect to it. I think. Yeah, one of the things you mentioned about um, Dan Cole being like a technically good scrummager is I think that actually paid off around like the 60th minute. We started to hold our own a bit more in the scrums when Joe Marler came on and added a bit more like energy to it. I think um, Dan Cole's technique started to pay off um, because I think that was shown because um, South Africa went, yep, yeah, let's replace the front row. <laughs> <laughs> and they changed it because they knew they that was the area they were going to win the game and demoralise the England team. Going, oh, if we can't win a scrum, we, we can't win anything. Um, we can't like because the set piece in rugby is so extremely important. That's why Eddie Jones has placed such a massive emphasis on it is uh, the development of it. And when Joe Marler came on, um, we started to dominate a little bit more in the scrum because the technique of and experience of Joe Marler and Dan Cole was starting to pay off whilst the other guys were getting quite fatigued because they were doing they were playing the newer game they were doing more running with the ball they were trying to cut more lines and things like that whereas Joe, uh, Dan Cole like you said just does his job rucks out lifts in the lines that line out pushes in the scrum doesn't do much else tackles when he ha- when he can and when he has to um, whereas the other the South African team were, they were trying to run with the ball they were doing a lot more so obviously they tire quicker and when that happened uh, South Africa bought their new their repla- essentially replaced their scrum and and were like okay well we we're starting to lose this now there's a chance England can come back let's put it to bed and it and it and it worked tactically brilliant um, and I think tactically you'll start to see more teams have a uh, the ability to replace their pack based off that tactic I think that that's a really important point because the the fitness of the forwards is not just purely because of the physiological need of the forwards, unless they start changing towards more of a, like a rugby league type um, approach, which they won't, um, their fitness is not going to be as high as the backs, just like uh, physiologically and metabolically, they're not going to have the same level of capacity. So the ability to just replace your uh, front pack and your front row especially is apps gonna, is going to be, I think that's a new tactic now I've not seen that done before to have a full um, starting lineup on your bench as a scrum, <laughs> and because yeah, yeah, it's such a dominant area. Up, if you can dominate that scrum, you can dominate the rucks, you can dominate the malls, um, you don't you essentially dominate a large portion of the game. Because if you don't get quick ball out like England weren't for some reason, they just were like, no, let's hold it in in the ruck. I don't quite get that. When, <laughs> when what they did so convincingly against South Africa was as soon as that ball touched the floor in the in the ruck, it was gone. It was out the back to the backs, and the forwards were running with it, and they were just going through, hitting the floor. Ball's gone again. Like there's, and it didn't give New Zealand a chance to set the defence. And I think that was one of the biggest mistakes England did. Was they tried to slow the game down, and yeah. all that did was South Africa like, well, we're not going to commit to this ruck. We, we're now two or three players um, in lieu of you because you've committed two or three guys to set the ruck up. So we're just going to wait here and press your defence. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't beat that. You can't, uh, you can't just expect your uh, forwards to crash through that level of defence um, like they tried to do for 20, was it 25, what is it, 15 or 16 phases before they passed the ball. You know, well, you've either got one option here. You keep going with that attack. You don't pass the ball, or you need to get yeah. rid of it as quickly as possible. 
Um, and I don't think England did that. But I think comes coming back to the Dan Cole point, drilling technique and having that technical focus is extremely important. Again, especially when it comes to health. And if you're trying to do higher intensity um, level of exercise, uh, your technique needs to be drilled to a point where it doesn't break down because you're only as good as your technique. As soon as that breaks down, no amount of fitness is going to really help you. Um, it just doesn't matter anymore. Like in the rugby game, if you can't catch a ball, i.e. a technical skill, because you're so tired, then might as well get off the pitch. In, um, I'm going to use CrossFit as an example. If you can't lift the bar with good technique, then you've got to put yourself at a massively high risk of hurting yourself. Right? Um, so I think drilling technique is extremely important, especially in rugby. Um, yeah, it's uh, that old adage, like do the basics well yeah. at speed. And you'll be, you'll probably be all right. That's what New Zealand have done for for years. They just do the basics, simple hands. They literally just, they don't do any silly miss passes. They're not trying anything particularly skillful. It's just quick ball from the ruck, hand, all through the hands as quickly as possible. And they attack at speed and they just run really good lines. And you just can't. There's no substitute for pace yeah. uh, in rugby. So. It's just doing the basics well and just drilling that. Don't do anything fancy and you'll, uh, you'll come away with the victory. So, yeah, like you're saying, when it comes to health and fitness, all you need to do is the basics really, really well and you will get good adaptation and good progression from that, uh, which is going to lead to the benefits and the and going to help you achieve the goals that you want to achieve. Mm. You don't need to do anything fancy. You don't need to do a single leg balance on a BOSU ball whilst back trying to pistol squat with a barbell none of this you don't need to do any of that a, a good box squat um with sound technique good tempo able to control all three contractions throughout the whole movement and you will probably hit your goal a lot quicker yeah it's doing the ordinary extraordinarily well it's, it could yeah like, it exemplifies um new zealand's approach like you said they don't do anything super fancy they just do the basics better than anyone else in the world. And when England played them, they did the basics better than New Zealand. Like they, they yeah. played, and the, the bit that, um, the bit that got me before the performance against South Africa was that in when they played New Zealand, they, they played for territory when they needed to. So they kicked for territory when they needed to. When they had a chance to run the ball, they ran the ball. When they um, needed to defend, they defended extremely well. Like the New Zealand actually had actually had higher percentage of possession in that game. But England's defence was just too good. They couldn't. They didn't give uh, New Zealand a chance to run with the ball, counter rocking and all that sort of thing. So they did the base extremely well. And what they did do against New Zealand was they they didn't kick. Oh, sorry, against South Africa, they didn't kick for territory as well. They didn't go for the set pieces that they've been practicing so hard, because purely because I think they were they. They were unconsciously scared of New Zealand, uh, South Africa's line out. They had a good line out, yes, and their scrum. They were scared of it, so we're like, okay, well, let's not let them do that. Well, okay, well, you need to bring something else to the game then. And they didn't. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do that with Johnny Mate. He was clearly injured, right, running at half speed the whole time. Every time he got a chance to run with the ball, he cut back inside and got tackled. So again, unconsciously, he's like, yeah, I know I can't go full throttle here, so I'm just gonna cut back inside and get tackled. Um, yeah. So they didn't do what they were doing so well. And they, like, they, they 
like I said, tactically, they got it. I think they got it wrong. Um, they couldn't convert on anything. And again, when it comes to health, like you just got just do the basics extremely well. Live, <laughs> eat well, eat really well. Get outside as often as possible. Um, do like basic compound movements regularly. With, like you said, good control with varying levels of intensity. And again, you can the comparison you can make to England's game against New Zealand is that they varied the intent the variation in that game was absolutely phenomenal never seen that level of variation and what I mean by that is they they sped the game up when they could and they slowed it down at times they'd be like no let's hold it let's speed up again let's hold it let's kick it let's pass it let's run it let's hold it let's, let's kick it fast let's run fast let's run slow like they did all of that and New Zealand just were like what the hell is happening um, yeah. but you can only do that once you've mastered the basics. And I think what we generally tend to do when it comes to fitness is we try and go straight for the the varying sexy play, the, the higher intensities and things like that, but just don't need to do that in um, in fitness, right? So we, we can learn that. When you get to the, uh, when you've mastered the basics, and like we talked about program design for beginners, intermediates and advanced, when you get into the, the intermediate and advanced level, you can have the variation. You've got to earn that though. Like uh, Ford and Farrell and all these players didn't get to where they are without learning to, well, in, in under 10s rugby, without just passing, tackle. Pass, tackle. Pass, tackle. You do that 10 times and then one team scores. <laughs> and then the other team does exactly the same. It goes back and forwards. And that's exactly what kids rugby is like because they, they don't, have the capability to be able to go right what we're going to do is we're going to kick pass it over to the winger he's then going to pop it inside we're then going to run a play based off of that and then score like that doesn't happen at uh, youth level rugby but to elite level rugby you can have that tactical awareness and again the parallels are there for um, beginners to advance people in fitness is when you go in and you're a beginner to fitness you don't need fad and uh, fancy techniques and things like that. You just need to, like I said, squat, pick something heavy off the floor every now and then, go for a jog every now and then, um, eat really well, sleep really well, and manage stress. And that's pretty much it. And you'll get to where you need to be. And when you when you get there, you can go, okay, well, I can't really do just what I was doing before. I need to add a little bit into it. Okay, well, maybe we need to start varying the level of uh, tempo, the intensity. So okay, so we can add more weight. Intensity is going to go up. Volume might go down a little bit, and we're going to manipulate that up a little bit for the next two years. That's the only thing you change. And then we go, okay, now what we need to do is blah 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 blah. I think that's what England kind of forgot, <laughs> forgot how to do that, and they were, oh god, it is just too much for them. And uh, the situation, the the nerves, like you said, the over versus under arousal, whatever it was, how tired they might have been, um, the occasion, whatever it was, just couldn't come together that day. Um, and yeah, it was, it was a shame. It was a shame. We built it up so much. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I was giving my, I was giving some of my friends so much shit. <laughs> and now uh, we're eating that humble pie. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. It's, it's um, like yeah, like you're saying, the um. I think it was just rushed. Everything about it was rushed. And I think that's what people tend to forget when it comes to health as well. They're just in a rush to get to their goals. 
Um, and you don't need to rush. Like the biggest part that you can enjoy is the process and the, the learning. Like I always compare it to skiing. Like the first time I learned to ski, I was falling over all the time. But that's the most fun I ever had when I was skiing. Because now if you fall over, because you're going so much faster, if you do fall over, if you hit like a, a, a block of ice, and you fall over, it's going to hurt because you're going so so much faster because your technical competency is so much better. But at the start, you're going so slow. If you fall, it doesn't hurt. And it's just funny. And you're just playing around in the snow. You can't get up. And it's just really, it's just really funny. Um, and that's what I try and compare um, like the gym to. If you're brand new to fitness and you're training for health, treat it like the slopes. Do it slow and steady to start with. So if you fall, it's not going to hurt. So if something goes wrong, the repercussions of that are nowhere near significant as if you try and hit it 100 miles an hour and you try and go straight into the stuff that you've seen online. Uh, cross, we'll take CrossFit again, for example. You try and do a ring muscle-up. That re- requires a lot of force. It's a lot of speed. Those two together is a recipe for disaster if something goes wrong. Um, like <laughs> Even if like your hand comes off, you're going to fly quite a significant distance off that ring probably hit a rig, knock yourself out, then hit the deck, whack your head, concussion, probably not going to be able... No, I'm joking. We're not going to go down the route. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, just there is no rush on these things. Like the biggest... Just enjoy the learning process. Ask as many questions. Be inquisitive. I always encourage people to be as inquisitive as possible. Why am I doing this? Why do I need to do this? Get the explanation. Then you can be like, ah, oh, that's why I need to do it. And then take your time, enjoy it, get better, and then you can progress it once you've earned that right. You have to prove to yourself and to the coach that you are capable to do something to that extent if it's in line with your goals. If it's just because you think it looks cool, then I'll question whether or not you need to do that movement at all because it's probably going to send you down the wrong route and it's probably going to contradict you achieving your goals because it requires different skills and different energy system requirements and different physiological capacities as well. And technical competencies requires a lot more brain power, whereas you could have probably just stuck to what you were doing for another six months and leapfrogged exactly where you're going to be if you then decided to focus on just this one skill. Um, so if you're an athlete, yes, 100%, that's what you need to do. But if you're training for health, you need to look at the big global picture and you need to consider all of these factors and the trade-offs that exist in the pursuit of certain goals. Yeah, I think someone's success, and, and what, I've, what I get a lot of time is, oh, the training's boring. And I would think that's directly related to um, their buy-in and their understanding of why they're doing what they're doing. I found as soon as, you, as soon as that person understands, I've been there myself, as soon as you understand, you go, oh, I get why I'm doing, like, uh, a 60 minute jog every week instead of interval sprints right and 60 minutes from is is i actually prefer it to interval sprints to be honest but for some people that could be super boring it's really yeah. it's really um boring to just go in and do good mornings and air squats okay yeah but if you really want to get to where you want to be and you want to be able to squat 200 kilos you can't get there without doing this and actually it will you will only get you will, you might get to 200 kilos but you might not get any further. Your ceiling will lower, definitely. And I think getting buy-in to the program is absolutely important. Um, 
I think that's what Eddie Jones did extremely well. Is it from the from the England squad? Is he got buy-in from everyone? Like everyone was in for that. They were. They don't refer to the team as the fifteen. They refer to it as thirty-one players, and like seven or eight of those players was it seven? Eight of those players don't even get selected for the squad for the games. And what he said in the post-match interviews was like the way in terms of their preparation. He's like the way the guys that. The, that seven or eight that didn't get selected for the the, um, the games, the way they performed in training was absolutely instrumental to England getting to the fight, just getting to the finals, and even just winning their games, beating New Zealand. That like the way they helped the team prepare was absolutely instrumental. And I think when we draw that uh, draw parallels with health and fitness is that you have to get buy in. If you if you've got a coach and they're giving you the like like I said good mornings and walking lunges and push-ups in a strict A, B, C, four sets of five on each one, random numbers, at a tempo. They're giving it to you for a reason. If you don't, if you're going, oh, this is boring, it's more than likely because you don't understand why you're doing it. As soon as you understand why you're doing it, you go, oh, okay, I'm doing this so that in six weeks I can squat X amount, squat 100 kilos. I get it now. I can focus on the process. You can have buy-in and understanding why. And I think as an athlete, I think there's there's maybe a little bit less of that need. You just have to do the work and just trust the, that the coach knows what he's doing. They can't always give you all the information. As a fitness enthusiast and someone who wants to be healthier, then, yeah, you can have that knowledge. There's no harm to that. No harm to knowing why the coach is doing what they're doing. But trying to jump into a program that isn't designed for you, that is way too advanced for you, will only lower your ceiling. It's kind of an oxymoron. You think, okay, if, if the best of the best are doing this program, if I do that program, I'll be the best of the best. But actually what you forget is the five or ten years previous and the, the progression that allows them to train the way they train. They've done all the basics right. They've earned the right to do that fancy, sexy program. Um, I think there's, there is a, uh, it's, it's our ADD, it's our sh- fitness ADD, it's our short, short, humans are designed to want immediate gratification and to search out immediate gratification. And I think that's a, a biological um, and it's a evolutionary tactic. But at the same time, because they didn't have foresight then. But now I think we're in a position where we can have foresight. We can take a step back and go, okay, well, if I just if I don't do this fad fitness class, and maybe I just go for a walk instead and do some lunges, that in six weeks' time I'll be able to do that fad fitness class and have more fun out of it and get more out of it than you would. You can just take a step back because it's not got, it's not the end of the world at that point. Um, obviously previously 100,000 years ago or whatever it might have been a life or death situation whereas it's not anymore we can have foresight and with, and with knowledge comes foresight and if, yeah. you, if you know and you get buy-in from your coach and you trust your coach and you um, you ask questions and you engage with it like you said I always say to my new clients I was like the, the way that you're going to get the most out of this isn't by me giving you the best program in the world it's by you engaging and asking why constantly. Why am I doing this? Not necessarily challenging it. Just going, okay, I just want to know the reason so I can put, you can give more to it. I can really, 
instead of going for a set of 10 push-ups at 2-0-2-0 tempo, and you maybe skip a little bit of the tempo, and you don't quite get it right, you're absolutely focused on the tempo on every single rep. And you get it 100% perfect, and that pays off. And I think Clive Woodward said it quite well. I can't remember what he called him. Untangible or inconsequential untangibles that at the t- on their own, separately, don't make much difference. So skipping a few seconds in a tempo, and you rush it and maybe don't do one, you do less reps or you do more reps. At the time, that doesn't make much difference. But when you put that into the whole picture and, and loads of them compressed together, create the whole. I think if you, if you know why you're doing things, like we said, and you engage with the program, you ask questions, and you try to improve your knowledge, then you will get more out of it. And you, the, that long-term approach won't be as boring. Yeah. It'll be and much it's, more yeah, fun. It's just having that, that clear goal in mind, isn't it? And it's just not looking constantly at the short-term, uh, the short-term gains, like um, not fixating on, oh, I've stagnated on this load for like the last two weeks. I can't, I can't progress. It's not about that. Like that's not the only metric of success. Um, improved technical competency being able to stick to that tempo um not having knee valgus on the squat like those are big achievements for some people uh because that might be a specific weakness they've needed to work on so just because you can't lift more at this juncture at that point in time does not mean that you're not improving like your your tissue capacity your tolerance um even your psychological capability of like i know i can lift this now means that you actually lift it with more force output a lot of the time like one of my uh, we've got a push band at performance ground and using that to show people because they're like oh i've been stuck on this load for like the last six weeks but then you use a push band at weeks one and six of their block and you're like well you're lifting it at twice the speed that you did before like that's a big like that is a huge metric for them and they're like oh i understand now why you're doing it at tempo because that means you're going to have a greater potential to lift with more force, like you're saying, it brings your ceiling that much higher. Like your muscles are like elastic bands. If I just pull it back and shoot it off, it's not going to travel that far. If I really pull it back, stretch it as far as I can, get as much stretch in that band, and then release it, it's going to fly a lot further. It's probably going to go across the room. And that's what your muscles are like. You've got to take longer to build up that tolerance and that capacity to then let it go further. So to increase your potential for force output. Um, like in when you put it in that context it's real simple but then as we know there's a lot of other issues that can get in the way of that so it's looking at that whole picture and that's why individualization is so important for people to help them reach their fitness needs and goals yeah um i feel like we're just banging the same old drum aren't we (laughs) it's uh can't reiterate how important it is um like have fun with your fitness definitely um but realize that I guarantee it, I've just seen it so many times. When you get to 45 and things just aren't working as well and you can't figure out why, I guarantee it will be down to the chronic high-intensity exercising, which most people are doing these days. Chronic levels of high-intensity exercise. And at 45, when your guts don't work properly because they're burned out, because um, that's, what, that's what happens. You mean, that's what why high-intensity increases body fat metabolism much quicker than uh, a longer, slower approach does, 
is because it increases thermogenesis. It increases the activity of your organs to burn body fat. Like it's, it, you're just turning up the furnace. Like, and when you run out of fuel, you're fucked. And you'll run out of fuel earlier. And you'll get joint pain earlier. And you'll get... like Elite level rugby is a good example of it. Um, use Johnny Wilkinson, as, Johnny Wilkinson as an example. He got to his peak. He was the best rugby player... He earned the right to be called the best rugby player, in especially fly off. I think there's ever been. I think that, I don't think many people would argue me on that. I don't think there's been anyone better than him as a as a rugby player. His his probably his tackling game to his defensive game to his attacking game to his kicking game everything. I don't think there's anything anyone that's been better than him. Um, as soon as the World Cup finished, as soon as he peaked. Two or three weeks later, he went back to it too early and he picked up the first injury of, I think it was like 15, 16 injuries that would eventually end his career. And obviously like they, you lost one of the best rugby players ever to have been. And um, I think that, that's what happens. You can take that. If you want to play at that level, then the consequences are going to be greater when, you are, when you get older. Um, you're going to have mental health issues, definitely. Most of the people that come out of elite sport end up with depression, um, especially contact sport because the the brain injuries. <laughs> but they end up with depression. They end up not being able to main, uh, to control body weight. Like that's changed. Like uh, I know a lot of judo players, um, elite level that have been elite level uh, competitively, and had to go on diets and had to reduce body weight and constantly fluctuate and constantly changing their body weight set point is that when they retire and they stop that level of exercise and they they can't contain their body weight, it, then um, they then turn into obese. The amount of obese people in judo is ridiculous. Like you go to any judo club, I guarantee you, there is a relatively high level judo player or retired judo player in there that's competed at a relatively high level that is now obese coaching. Guarantee it. That's, that was, that's my childhood. <laughs> that, that's from every club that I've been to every club every single one um, when it comes to fitness like I said you increase thermogenesis chronically burn out your organs by 45 you can't control your hormones you can't control you go through men will go through andropause sooner women will go through menopause sooner um, hair will thin skin will sag um you won't be able to maintain body weight and body fat levels. You won't be as strong. Joints will hurt more. This will all happen. That is all of a function of maintaining too high a level that actually moves you away from health. Um, but yeah, in terms of rugby, gutted. <laughs> Still coming to terms with it. Um, I think they did. Um, like they were the best. I think they were the best team in the in the competition. I think they are the best team in the world. Whether they obviously the leaderboard doesn't necessarily reflect that but I think they are I think they could know they should know inside that they are the best team in the world um, they just got it wrong on the day um, and I think South Africa not take not trying to take anything away from them um, they did have a slightly easier run could say that up to the get up to the World Cup final but that is that is sport um, I won't say anything about the ref. Um, not, not that I think 
He was biased. I just think he was shit <laughs> in general. He was shit for New Zealand, uh, South Africa, and he was shit for um, England. Like it just happened that he was more shit for England. It, that, the, those decisions went against us. Um, I don't think that's South Africa's fault, or we can take anything away from them because of that. They did win on the day, so um, yeah, it's maybe a good point to end on. What's your final thoughts on the rugby? Um, yeah, absolutely devastated. Um, only four more years. It'll be closer to home this time. Hopefully, I can actually get to watch a few of the games. That'll be class as well. Not far to travel. Hopefully, Brexit doesn't make me need a visa. Um, we ain't never losing, mate. <laughs> I, I want, <laughs> no, the, the worst part was that I ordered a New England rugby shirt and uh, I got home from the game. I already told Stephanie this. Got home from the game and waiting on my doorstep was the delivery man with my New England rugby shirt after the game. And I said to him, I was like, mate, are you serious? He's like, what? I was like, you don't know what's in there, do you? He's like, no. I was like, it's a New England rugby shirt. And he's like, ah, sorry, mate. <laughs> I was like, damn you. Just rub it in, why don't you? Just take it, take it back. Just just keep yeah. it. <laughs> it. No. I've got it. It's sitting on my chair, looking valiant, ready to rise again. Well, they will. Um, That's it. Six Nations is fo- isn't far. Yeah, pin our ropes on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, absolutely outstanding effort uh, from the boys to get to that point. Just shame on the day, devastating for them, but it's a team for the future. And mm. hopefully in four years we can do the job then. Exactly. They'll come back. Well then, um, hope you enjoyed this podcast about the rugby and what you can learn from it. It's a few uh, little nuggets in there, and I think take away some of that, implement it, and you'll see the benefits. Like we don't not preaching this stuff because it's fun to do so. It actually, bloody works. There's a reason behind it. Um, so do it. If you haven't got a coach, go and fucking get yourself one. Uh, <laughs> right. Peace out. <laughs>